You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. Welcome into Locked On Hornets, presented by the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm Doug Branson, no Walker Mail today. He's got the week off because he has an actual sports analytics job uh, for ESPN 730, and he's busy with ACC Media Week, but he'll be back next week. So today, I'm joined by another Walker, a David Walker, an original member, an OG member of the Locked On Hornets podcast. David, what's going on, my man? What's up, buddy? This is all sorts of flashbacks. We've we've got the video. We've got you and I in different places. It's I mean, what's going on here? Well, not only that, David, but it's an ultimate flashback because I'm in Nashville, Tennessee. You're in Charlotte, North oh. Carolina, and that's how this whole thing started. Gosh, knows. Isn't life crazy? Programming note, by the way, we're going to be airing Tuesdays and Thursdays throughout the summer, and today's episode is brought to you by Postmates. Postmates is your personal food delivery, grocery delivery, whatever kind of delivery service all year around. For a limited time, Postmates is giving Locked On listeners $100 in free delivery credit for your first seven days. That's $100 free delivery credit for your first seven days. Download the Postmates app and use the code Locked On. David, you a big Postmates guy? I'm so glad you said that. I got an alert uh this morning about i got five dollars off from yes. postmates so i'm gonna be doubling up and getting some food have you ever done the postmates party function they, they <sighs> no. uh, you haven't heard about this okay so they no. they do these like parties and they're timed um they're timed benefits essentially where like there's a countdown clock and you get free delivery some places or maybe discounted delivery on some places but i want to tell you so i want to warn you on something you have to take advantage of the party when they say there's no leeway. Like if the clock runs out and you're halfway through putting your credit card number in, you're out. You're out. You're, you're paying for it. <laughs> it's more like, party for you. It's like getting a dra- it's like the draft. Like if you don't get your pick in, that's it. I mean, there's no there's no reduskies. It's real world. There's consequences. We got a big show coming up. We're not talking about uh we're not talking about Anything else but Kimball Walker, because that's all this show is anymore. It's just <laughs> uh, Kimball Walker. Talk- it doesn't even matter that he doesn't play for the Charlotte Hornets anymore. We're going to talk about Kimball Walker. He had some comments to Jackie McMullen of ESPN. Uh, he met the media in Boston for the first time. Rick Bennell had a great write-up of that in the Charlotte Observer. So we're going to discuss some of those quotes and really just dig into the pain. I mean, we're really going to make mm. this thing hurt. Uh, later on in the show, does the NBA have an off-season fascination problem? Are we too obsessed with where players are going in the off-season, and, and how is the NBA going to monetize that in the future? I think it's a really interesting discussion, and I want to have it with uh, David Walker, who I know you're obsessed with the NBA off-season. You can't get enough of, of it. You want more. No. Give it all. Also, what we want more of is Big Little Lies. Great show on HBO. Uh, I've been waiting for you to come on the show, David, because I want to talk to you about it. So we're going to do that in the third segment. So if you're a Big Little Lies fan, stick around. If you're not, then don't worry about it. Or maybe you want to get into Big Little Lies, and we'll convince you to do that. So I'm going to save that for the end of the show. But first, I want to start with Kimball Walker. Again, he talked to ESPN, talked to Jackie McMullen, talked uh, to the media as part of his introduction with Boston. And 
This, David, is a unique kind of pain for a lot of young Hornets fans to see a player of Kemba Walker's caliber, an all-NBA player, uh, uh, basically undress from his Hornets gear and move into the gear of another team. It's unique for young Hornets fans now, but but David, you and I have felt this before, right? I mean, we, this feels very familiar. This, the seeing a really uh, high-level player go play for another team, this this feels familiar. Yeah, it's kind of the story of the Hornets. I mean, the one thing that's different for me this time, though, Doug, is like literally the heart and soul and all of the joy, anything fun about what this team has been or that franchise has been over the last six years, I mean, goes out the door with Kemba Walker, right? I mean, at least when Zoe left, LJ was still here. And, Mm. you know, there were guys on the team still here. The team was still fighting. The team was still competing. They had some sort of direction. Uh, And even when (laughs) other guys... Wait a minute. Are you saying they don't have a definitive direction right now? Is that what you're saying? I, you know, you listen to Mitch and if you can figure out that you can figure out big little lies, but you know, if when he leaves, it was such a gut punch and now it's just, everything is, is out the window. Like those previous exits, you had something that you could pin your hopes on. Maybe that's why I was so excited for the Terry Rozier signing. I was like, listen, I mean, he could, he could pop, right? We don't know. Like at least he's a little bit exciting. That's why I was on board with him coming here as opposed to other guys like uh, Alfred Payton, uh, other guys that would just be painful to watch, like going through uh, a Michael Carter Williams 2.0 type of thing. Um, But yeah, man, it's weird. And for new people focused on the Hornets now, uh, it does go this way sometimes, but this one is a little different, Doug. I mean, the, the, the amount of weight he carried and the amount of, of coverage he got for this team, all well deserved. It's just bizarre to see him holding up, uh, an Antoine Walker jersey? Yeah, that's it. He's, he's just yeah, exactly. Um, it should say yeah, it should say K Walker on that instead of just Walker on that jersey. I like that he I like that he felt the need to uh, get Antoine's sign off. On that. Was that necessary? Like, did he need to do that, or are they going to was was Danny Ainge not going to give him the number if Antoine was not on board? Uh, I would love I would love to hear Danny's thoughts on that. Yeah, how how hard did he have to think about that? Um, let's get to some of these quotes. It, it really, this is uh, from Kemba Walker talking to Jackie McMullen. He said, it really came down to my, or I'm sorry, this was from his press conference. It really came down to my happiness and how I want to compete night in and night out. David, that's a gut punch. I mean, that's a gut punch if you're a Hornets fan, right? Like to hear Kemba Walker say, listen, and, and maybe, maybe it's half true. Maybe Kemba's, you know, had yeah. the money been right, he still would be in Charlotte. But to hear that, that he wanted to compete night in and night out, that he wanted to win consistently and he wasn't doing that in Charlotte, I mean, that hurts, right? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense, too. It's what you were saying all along. You've tried this thing. Now let me go out and try this other thing, right, and see how that works for me. But, yeah, I mean, that's that's another kind of twisting of the knife. Not that he's doing that intentionally, but for anyone left here cheering for this team, watching this team, hearing your star say that wasn't an option for me in Charlotte to go out there and compete every night and be happy. And you're right. Like, I think, you know, had the money been there, had the Supermax been there, he would have found some way to be happy. He would have found some way to get over, you know, not being able to compete. But it wasn't. And the, you know, the circumstances laid out as they did. And he looked at his options. And it's just kind of weird looking back on it, how Boston seemingly came out of nowhere, right? Like, think about, you know, a week before that, it was Kimba to the Lakers. And people were trying to figure out how that was going to work. And then, of course, Boston swoops in 
as they do. And I, I love the fact that Danny Angel's like, well, right after the draft, our number one options, our number one priorities were Kemba and Cantor. Of course they were. I mean, that's, that's it totally a, that worked was, out that way. Yeah, that was everyone's. Uh, yeah, of course. Oh, God. Classic <laughs> Danny Ainge. Classic Cla- Ainge. I mean, when he gets done watching Big Little Eyes, he's going to go, of course that happened. Uh, of course, yeah, I knew I knew it all along that that person was, <laughs> yeah, he knew, yeah, he knew the first season twist. He knew that Perry was the murdered guy, like after episode one, but he only revealed yeah. that he knew that after episode seven. Um, uh, speaking of the Supermax, Kimba had some thoughts on that. He told Jackie McMullen that he knew that the Supermax w- would have, was going to be an issue with the Hornets. He said the Supermax <laughs> was a lot of money, money they didn't have. <laughs> he's like he's like the super understanding kid at Christmas when the family kind of falls on hard times. He's like, ah, it's okay, Dad. It's okay, Mom. Except that he switched parents. He had right. <laughs> he had the he option applied that, for his own. He applied for his own. You know, yeah, parental divorce, and it only <laughs> took him a week too. It's amazing, it like on Big Little Lies. Um, you know what's crazy? He still continues. It's not crazy, but it's it, it's kind of odd to see him continue to double and triple down on his love for Michael Jordan and how much he respects him and how much he loves him. I just odd in the, in a way because everything else he's saying on why he left is a direct reflection on kind of the job that Jordan and whatever front office you want to pin him to has done with this team. Right. And like, I get it. MJ is MJ. And obviously Kemba has said that over and over and over again, he's on his brand. He's always looked up to him. So I think there's some delineation there between the man, the legend, you know, the name and maybe, maybe the owner, but, but maybe not. I mean, I'm sure whenever he talked to MJ and Charlotte, it was great for Kimba. It obviously wasn't enough, just that alone for him to stick around, but it is kind of interesting that he continues to, in all of the, you know, it seems like in every interview he's had, he's gone on to say, that's my guy. He's the man. I owe him everything. And, um, you know, he really thanks him for drafting him and believing him. And, and so there's still that bond there, which is interesting. Yeah, well, and the benefit of uh, acquiring a number of players who have very little in the personality department and are generally easy to get along with and not very uh, verbose with the media is that when they do exit, it, it's a little bit clean. Like, I mean, there were, yeah. you know, Kimba is a good guy. Like, he's a good person. And, and he just, he sees he has really no interest in throwing bombs at his, at his previous location. And, and you can't say that for every guy. Um, but asked Stephen Jackson. Yeah. Right. <laughs> asked where he was when he got his third team, all NBA award, Jackie McMullen uh, asked him, where were you when you uh, got that news that you were third team, all NBA? And he said, quote, I can't remember. <laughs> Get ready, Jackie McMullen. He's not a storyteller. Like he, <laughs> The Boston, yeah, the Boston know, media is going to want stuff from him, and he's just, he's just not, not going to give it. I don't remember. You know what's crazy about that? When I first saw those clips from that Jackie McMullen sit down, to look at Kimba's face and just the reactions that he was giving, and his answers were forthcoming in a way that I had not seen in Charlotte. Like I feel like I had seen most of Kimba's on-court, off-court, interviews, video, even in this offseason, right, like at his camps. And it never came across to me as someone who was super comfortable in front of the camera or not that he struggled with it, but it just wasn't kind of free flowing and like going to Boston, maybe he blossoms, maybe that opens up for him a little bit. And maybe that's a big reason why some of these people choose to get, just get a different uh, environment around them. But to me, like he was much more relaxed and open 
and free flowing. And Jackie McMullen's a total pro, so she probably made him feel as such. But he was telling stories and relating to her in a way that I just didn't see a lot here in Charlotte. Well, it's clear to me that this was just as much a life change decision for Kimba Walker. And he said he made this decision really alone. Like he wasn't talking to a lot of other players. We know he, he we know he did have a conversation with Big Al Jefferson. But but he said, like, I wanted to make this decision by myself. I wanted to make this decision alone. And to me, it just seems like it was just as much a life change as it was a as a basketball situation change. And that's tough to reckon with, I think, if you're a Hornets fan, because there's there's not a ton you can do about that. Like if a guy just wants a change of scenery, you know, unless you want to bury your franchise in a Supermax deal, there wasn't a ton of options uh, for the Charlotte Hornets. We don't do this podcast alone, by the way. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network, the number one local sports daily podcast network. Search Locked On in your podcast feed to see if your favorite NFL, MLB, or college team is represented, or you can go to LockedOnSports.com. The Locked On Podcast Network is covering your team every day. We're coming back talking about the NBA offseason. Get some thoughts from David Walker on what's been going on, the insanity that is the modern-day NBA offseason. You're listening to Locked On Hornets on the Locked On Podcast Network. This is Locked On Hornets. Charlotte. How strong is an ox? Are we? I think we're overrating the ox. Uh, we are I, not overrating I, the I ox. Need to see, I need mm. to see some medicals on the ox. Yeah, why don't you do the research on that? You put your lab glasses on. You take a look at it. I wonder your if mind. there's anything on the internet. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Back here on the Locked On Podcast Network on the Locked On Hornets Podcast with David Walker. Walker Mail got the week off. I'm Doug Branson. We're going to talk some NBA offseason. David, my question to you is this, and it's a question I've, I've started to hear on other podcasts, on conversations around the NBA from the, the NBA thought leaders, and the question is this. Does the NBA have an off-season fascination problem? Now, I know that's a weird question, right? Because why would it be a problem if fans are super interested in where players go in the off-season? But the, the question is, how does that translate to fans actually going to basketball games or watching games on television? Do you see a problem with, with how how just inflamed the NBA offseason has become. It's weird because when you think about attention, right, any any attention or any eyes or focus seems to be good. And that's what the NBA has really excelled in getting the attention of, especially like the more, uh, the younger fans or the fans that are on Twitter, like they're definitely winning Twitter, which I guess doesn't matter anymore. But, you know, that was a big feather in their cap for a long time. And the fascination with the offseason, I mean, has this been – did it start with LeBron? Did it start with the decision? I mean, has it just heated up really like hot stove since Durant? Like what's been the, the kicking off point, do you think? I think definitely the decision. That to me was the first time that I remember the NBA offseason becoming more than – just some spec, a little bit of speculation, but then the reveal of where a player was going to go, and and that, but the decision was a spectacle and one that LeBron ended up regretting, 
and, and they certainly haven't recreated that in terms of a television special, but all of these have become social media specials. And, and and so I get the question is like, why has the fascination in the offseason gone up? And I think to me, it comes down to two things, right? Number one, big time players are moving a lot. Like every season we've got big time moves. It seems more rare when a player says, no, nah, I'm good. I'm just going to I'm just going to hang here. Like, didn't it feel weird when Paul George decided to stay in Oklahoma City? Like now we just yeah. expect when a player's contract runs out. They're going to go to somewhere else. And, and I think the, the second thing is social media has turned this whole thing into a giant circus. Like it started with the decision, but like a lot of things in our culture, it has been accelerated by social media. There's, it's a giant circus now. Like there's even a popular like clown meme for people out there that are with their sources that are just guessing wrong and strong. So like the yep. whole thing is just, it's, it's a circus, but like the question is, does that translate to people actually watching games? Well, ratings are down, right? I mean, yeah. that's the report from last year, right? Now, like, <clears throat> I think this year, LeBron and Anthony Davis and the Lakers being back in the real mix of things, you know, that may have, that may have a bounce back. Like that may have just been a blip on the radar last year, but we'll see. I mean, the thing you mentioned with these huge players, big name players, just changing the course of the league and changing the power structure, right? Like going from Toronto to LA and you couple that with something happening that we've never seen before. Like this new twist where Paul George signed a contract last summer yeah. and is under contract. And that just doesn't matter anymore. And, and, and you can go in to structure something. Players mm -hmm. can talk. We all know that happens and they can figure out a way to, make something that was not even, uh, you know, appeared to be possible reality in the span of like a week or two and completely change the course of multiple franchises and divisions and, 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 uh, and uh, conferences and things like that. I mean, that stuff happening that you've never seen before and with the weight of the players doing it, I think people are just obsessed with it. So you and I and a lot of other people, we geek out about some of the inside basketball stuff. Like we like to to look at at who's doing well statistically and why and why do teams function a certain way and and why do certain teams play offense one way and, and another team plays defense the other way. Like we get into the tactics. But I would say for the mass majority of people who watch any kind of sport, it really does come down to narratives. And it's very difficult to build a narrative if your players, your your big time players, change uh, change teams every season, like sports has become instead of the the seven eight year television run, it's become this like uh, sort of like Fargo, where every year you're you've got to get interested in different characters, and and I just don't know if that really works for sports, and I think that's why the off season is interesting because it's always the same characters. It's always it's always the same set of like big time players and you're just wondering where they're going to go but then we get into the season and w what are the rivalries like what are what are the really interesting storylines except for oh this player plays in another place now and oh they'll have to play their old team and and I just I wonder when we're going to reach even like peak fascination with the offseason like when does that become old when do we stop going okay you know, here we go again. Uh, five more, five more big time all-star yeah. players go to another location. 
And I think that's what people who are not so thrilled with this mass movement like you and I, and it's, I mean, I think it's a generational thing, right? Because maybe a lot of the younger folks are fascinated by this. Like it's just fantasy or it's, it's like wrestling, right? You have all the drama, you have the built-in storylines and the players, like you said, are in the league. They're still doing the same thing. They're just switching allegiances every year. But um, you know, the other thing I was thinking about when all this was going down is like, what at the end of the day, what are the teams, what are they trying to do now? Because honestly, I think we passed a point a, a while ago, a couple of seasons ago, where if a team shook things up, but had their books in order and had assets in the form of picks, mm-hmm. then they were the big winners. Right. Sure. And like, it's kind of crazy to, th- which makes sense. Right. Not something we've seen in Charlotte, but it makes sense. It, it, <laughs> well, they tried, but they failed. But, but, but they when, tried. Yeah, when the Paul George thing happened, and then the resulting Westbrook stuff happened and hit. Um, there, I saw people commenting and, and podcasts. I think on the Ringer mentioned this, like that Thunder team with Paul George, who was hurt in the playoffs. Right? They they had Westbrook and they had Paul George, two superstars. Right? Yes, they're in the Western Conference, but they have a nucleus of a team, and they just. They got rid of it, you know? So it's like, what are these teams trying to do? Is it rings and nothing else? And now Presti has made up for a lot of that with all these picks he's acquired and everything he's got. And their team is still has some nice young players too, but they gave away, you know, their main guy, the heart and soul of their team in Westbrook. They gave away Paul George, who they convinced a year earlier to stay when nobody thought he would stay. So it's just kind of weird to see teams who could a move or two away, could be a move or two away from actually – you know, throwing some weight around, especially in the Western Conference, just scrap it and say we're gonna we're gonna rebuild. It's just not working. So it's great. And and like bounce that with a team like Portland, right? Who a lot of people said they should get rid of the Dame, get rid of the uh, the CJ pairing, and because it's never gonna work, I'm never gonna win a title. And I don't think they're ever gonna win a title either. But would you rather be in a situation of constantly putting out a product that's gonna be in the playoffs, gonna make some noise, gonna have some exciting time, or well, you know, if we don't see ourselves winning a ring, we're just going to scrap it. Well, because it's it's not about building a nucleus anymore and and trying to find the right pieces to fit together and then make, you know, a 3-4 year run. It really has become about put your franchise in a position where you can make a run at one or two players and then and then go full bore. Or really now it's two players. I mean, we haven't seen you know that now it's it's yep. not big three anymore. Now it is honestly, it's just these duos. Uh, this will be the year of the duo, and I think it'll be really interesting to see uh, play out. Uh, last thing on this though, how how does the NBA monetize this offseason interest? I, I you know I was listening to Low uh, the Low Post podcast and Zach Low and Kevin Arnovitz were discussing this, and that it's a question that's coming up in NBA Board of Governors meetings. Like these owners are saying, okay, it's not a bad thing that people are interested in the league, but to, you know, what do we do about ticket sales? What do we do about TV ratings? And my question is, okay, uh, to me, in my opinion, all of this was accelerated by social media. Like, I'm not sure why I can't tune into a local game via Twitter. Like, why can't I have the conversation on Twitter or on Facebook or on Instagram while I'm watching the game, but I can consume it in bite-sized you know, because like who, that's what I think the challenge is like getting some of the younger generation that doesn't have cable how do you get them to watch a two-hour game? I think you you have to find some way to integrate it with channels that they're already on and then throw some fantasy in there, throw some betting in there, throw some you know live in-game betting in there. Like I don't know why I can't do this now and also why is League Pass so awful? 
<laughs> yeah, and you're not even talking about actually going to the games, right? Like selling tickets, getting people in the arenas. Like that's a whole different thing. I mean, we were talking about it last week, Doug. You know, I have DirecTV now streaming service. You have Hulu streaming service. To watch the Hornets, we have to go through a separate app. Correct. Fox Sports Go, because neither one of those streaming services, even though it's a local channel, uh, you know, provide it. But there's a lot of ins and outs to that. But I get a Fox Sports South feed. <laughs> it's the Atlanta Hawks. And guess what? It's blacked out when the Hawks are playing. So, like, it doesn't make any sense. Like, like they've got to figure that out. And I think whatever – you know, Lowe and Arnovitz mentioned like the red zone version of whatever the NBA is. I mean, that seems like it, it would make sense. But yeah, watching on Twitter makes a lot of sense. And it seems like the NBA has been at the forefront of that with having their highlights on YouTube forever and, and being just knowledgeable about what's coming next. But it does sound like they're not quite sure what the next thing is and how to keep. The, the, the reason that I think that interest in play during the season. Yeah, no, I think part of the reason that the the NBA offseason is fascinating is because it's completely accessible to everyone, right? Like Woj's Twitter feed is completely accessible to everyone. There are no barriers to entry when it comes to the NBA offseason. When it comes to watching NBA games on television, there are all kinds of barriers. There's blackouts. The fact that like, oh. you know, here's the thing, David, did you know that right now, if I wanted to buy League Pass, if I wanted to give the NBA a couple of hundred dollars or however much it costs to buy League Pass right now, at this moment, they won't take my money. Like, if you go to <laughs> League Pass right now, they won't let you buy. It says League Pass coming in the fall. Like, what? What? Are we in 2019 or are we in 2009? Like, the NBA is 10 years behind when it comes to selling their products to people that aren't coming through the ticket uh, the, through the gates. And my thing is, if if there is interest at home, there will be interest in the gates. If if it's not hard to watch the games on television, okay, now I can watch the game on television. I can see Miles Bridges dunking from the free throw line. Okay, now I want to go see that in person. It's just amazing to me. Crazy. Yeah, the, the league pass thing is something. I mean, how many off seasons is this in a row, though, that people are screaming and screaming for them to fix league pass whether it's a login or whether it's just the billing. I mean, the billing alone and figuring out how you're going to watch it, getting it set up. Honestly, for me, once I get it set up, it's good to go. But my God, I mean, the logins and, 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 and linking it with your TV provider are enough to just say, screw it. I don't want to give you this $35 a month or whatever it is. I'll just, you know, I'll catch the highlights on Twitter because that's where I can see everything. The NBA is never going to fix League Pass. What's going to happen is that the the cable numbers are going to fall and fall and fall to a point where it becomes a crisis, and then they'll create something altogether new. This is just some kind of over-the-top service that skips the the Fox Sports, you I mean, know, Fox yeah, Sports Birmingham. Yeah, so, I mean, that's what's going to happen, and we just have to sit here and wait. What you don't have to wait for anymore is uh, our thoughts on Big Little Lies. If you're a Big Little Lies fan, HBO show, that's coming up in the next segment. And if you're not a fan and maybe you want to get into the show, stick around. If not, then uh, we'll see you next week. But we're going to be back with some thoughts on our favorite HBO show. You're listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets Podcast. Thoughts on the news about Cody Zeller's injury. That's a tough one, man. I mean, what the... 
He's just injured, man. It's, it's okay. okay. It's Look, just, you know, he's injuries just having to deal happen. with an injury. He didn't want <laughs> to get injured, okay, David? But, but, uh, Sorry, guys. I just had someone jump out in front of my vehicle. That's uh, That was understandable. Only on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Please listen carefully. Playing the hits today, David. That's right. Where you almost were responsible for murder. <laughs> One once before and then once after. Uh, yeah. Uh, that not the, not your first not your first run in with uh, almost vehicular manslaughter. Rap scallions on the road. Uh, People have come up to me and, and said that's their classic, that, that or that's a classic, that's their favorite one. More than one person. Yeah, I know. It's a good one. Um, and yeah. uh, we, we miss you. I miss you every day. Yeah. You know what I want to talk about? Big Little Lies, our favorite show. Yes, yes. Um, how do you explain this show to someone who hasn't seen it? Because I, I'm struggling. Somebody says, oh, you watch Big Little Lies. What's that about? I don't know. Mm. Uh, yeah, first thing I do is, did you watch the first season? Okay, no, and, I didn't watch the book. I, no, I didn't okay. read the book or watch the first season. What uh, What is this show about? Uh, beautiful people, beautiful places, fantastic sound, coffee sounded, shops. Sounding like nine oh well, okay, it was sounding like nine oh two one oh. Now it's sounding like Friends. I'm in. I'm in. All in. Um, but yeah, like, man, is it a I, super? Is it a supernatural show? Like that's where that, that's where I'm getting. Like, is this a sci-fi show? Did they sneak uh, this? It started out as like a show about relationships and about uh, murder mystery, and now it just seems like it's shifting more into the supernatural. Like, is it like what's another like sci-fi show that has like psychic elements? Like what? Well, like what universe is this playing in? What was the show that Jennifer Love Hewitt was on? Did she talk to dead people? It was like, uh, uh, I know what you did in that. No. Um, no Party I, of five now. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the thing is for me, last season was about, hey, some somebody died, right? Like that, they were building up to that. I think you've mentioned this. What and this is the last episode Sunday? Am I am I correct? This is the yeah the, we're coming the up yeah. So yeah, this week was the the penultimate show, penultimate, penultimate right, episode right. of this season, and the season finale is is next week. What is the deal? <laughs> well, like, here, so what, so what is the big? I mean, I get that there's the big courtroom drama that face off, yeah. and I the thing I love about this show is I love everyone on it. Obviously, mm-hmm. love all the characters. Um, I love the the feud that Adam Scott has with Reese Witherspoon's old uh, former husband. It's a tie for my favorite storyline, like Ed and Nathan's <laughs> Ed and Nathan's like relationship and how they want to fight each other every time. Like that's just such a David E. Kelly. Um, he's he's sneaking old school David E. Kelly into this show, right? Like that's just a that's a comedy storyline in an otherwise it's- very non comedy show. <laughs> It's fantastic, and the fact that they keep running into each other at the same coffee shop at the exact same time, 
while they're both, you know, filling up their coffee with, with creamer or sugar or whatever. And I'm just like, just, just switch up your, just switch it up. Just go to a different one or just wait. Or, or it's Ed on a bike. And then Nathan always <laughs> ends the conversation with calling Ed some combination of uh, earmuffs for the children, some combination of like shit or fuck. Like it's like just some common, <laughs> he's, he uses that as a noun for Ed. And that's how every conversation ends. Yeah. It's a tie for my favorite storyline between Ed and Nathan and Ed and Madeline. Like, I know that's, that's an upset because, you know, a lot of the story surrounds, especially in season two, Celeste and, mm-hmm. and will she, you know, keep her kids? Like, that's the main storyline of this season right now. But it's Madeline and Ed who really, uh, Adam Scott and I'm blanking on, on the actress that plays uh, Madeline. Reese Reese Witherspoon. Thank you. Yes. Um, their relationship is what's most interesting to me because Ed is a saint and it's a perfect casting job. You, you can't help but sympathize with Ed and, and I need another Ed singing scene. Like it's clearly not, oh. Adam, it's clearly not Adam Scott singing, but I just need no. Ed singing on the screen again. It was fantastic. His, the wig work, uh, this season for him <laughs> was fantastic. Uh, I mean, I thought last year when he, when need he a did raise. The Elvis, yeah, when he when he swept it all back and went with the Elvis look in the finale, that would be the crescendo for him. But that that afro and mustache combo was was excellent. Um, yeah, and they have really played those. I feel like they were a lot more focused on that relationship, those two just together, trying to figure things out this season. And nothing, nothing. Uh, what reasons. I love about this show because I'm I'm inexplicably attracted to this show. I, I haven't really been able to put my finger on why. It's this pretty. show is is very interesting to me. It's yeah, it's well shot. I mean, it's def- definitely a flat gray blue palette. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. it's not totally interesting from that perspective. But they do do some interesting things, especially in editing. Um, that you know, as a film, nerd, well, just the houses alone. And oh the, well, the, yeah, beautiful, porches. yeah, beautiful people, beautiful houses. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's there's a lot of there's a lot of eye candy. But I think why I'm interested in this show is because nothing is easy. Everything is very complicated, and they don't they don't wrap things very neatly. Like every conversation ends like a human conversation normally ends where no one is satisfied. Like that's the thing you, you sort of hinted at this at the beginning of the conversation. So season one had this unifying plot device of who was murdered, who was the person that died at the party that they were all in. And then they kept flashing back and then you discovered at the end of the season one. So what's season two's unifying plot? Like what's the unifying force behind season two? And I think I've decided that the unifying force is that everyone is miserable. And it's just like who they're having on. They're all, all the ladies are having a competition to find out who is the most miserable. It's just a race. It's a, it's the amazing race except with misery. Who can get out of their own way the quickest. Oh yeah. Th- that's it. They are all <laughs> the worst. You know who I identify most with on this show? Mm, Ziggy. No, <laughs> Yeah, Ziggy, just like, what the hell is going on? I just want to build this sandcastle. Leave me alone. No, I identify most with Celeste's lawyer, who, God help her, is just, she's just trying to get Celeste to uh, to do something that will help her. And Celeste is just doing everything that she can to destroy uh, her life and lose her children. And the lawyer's like, listen, I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer and I've been doing this a long time. Um, here's my advice. And she's like, you're an idiot. Well, Celeste also a lawyer though. And hasn't been practicing in a while. And that's it's clear. Okay, that's so, clear. <laughs> we should dive in, I suppose, to the legalities and how they're played out on screen because 
that's been a sticking point, I think, from day one when Merrill went to, I guess, apply to take to take ownership, to not ownership, to take uh, parental, yeah, custody of the kids. And like, if you go down the line, basically everything that's happened, I did read an article where there was a family attorney who basically said this, 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 and this would never happen. <laughs> the first thing is the timeline. I feel like very quick. this has all happened in a span of like a week or two where normally this thing, anything like this, even the bankruptcy case, right? Like that would take months and months to years, I think, to play out from beginning to end. So like, but that's something you can say, okay, it, you know, it's TV. They, they got to speed it up a little bit. The, the, the stuff that played out in the courtroom with Celeste on the stand, I found it. How come the lawyer, how come her, how come uh, Meryl Streep's lawyer is the first one we've seen with this video reenactment of the oh guy falling God. down the stairs? How, how is that not? In Listen, the le- I am a lawyer. Let me tell you something about physics. If a man drops <laughs> three, three inches to the left, that means he was definitely <laughs> pushed. And it's like, yeah, like why, why is he Matlock all of a sudden? Like he's digital, <laughs> he's digital Matlock. There's that problem. There's also this other problem that the, ju- so at the very end of the last episode, uh, if if you want, I'm not going to explain it. You you watched it. So um, at the end of the last episode, though, the judge turns into the judge from The Simpsons, where she's like, "Listen, none of this makes sense, but I'll allow it." Right. Oh, oh you want to act as your own lawyer? Sure. You're yeah. You're bar certified. Okay. Oh, you want to also? I'm I'm about to give my verdict, but no. Let's go ahead and extend this. Uh, I guess we'll see you here next week. Also, by the way, <laughs> yeah, I needed the ju- I needed the you. judge to turn around to the audience and say, "See you next week, everyone." <laughs> I mean, she starts going in with the questions at one point, like she's kind of driving the case home, which also would never happen. The judge is there just to be kind of, you know, the referee. Um, I know judges do more than that, but like they're certainly not a part of presenting a case, which is what the judge, you know, ventured into. And the other part about that is, I think the burden is on. Meryl Streep, I believe. I like. I don't think you go in there proving how bad a person Celeste is. Like the part that they're getting to, where, where. Yeah. How about we? Fi- yeah. How about we figure out if this like person that we've never heard from is actually fit to care about children? Right. Like, right. how about how about we do that? She just. She just. Uh, this is what I know about her. She char- she barges into rooms. Okay. Her son she is a opened- rapist. Her. <laughs> She 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 opens the door to her apartment and then when she doesn't want to talk to you slams it and cranks the music up and just stands there until you stop or or and here's where the sci-fi element like I don't see how she could have turned the music up that fast so I feel like she's able to summon her anger such that it results in music being turned up automatically where again I think she is that there are several people on this show that I believe have psychic powers. Um, Bonnie, Bonnie's mother, and and now yes. uh, Mary Louise. By the way, I did yes. a great job of looking at IMDb before we did this episode because I had no idea what these character names were. No, I don't right, know. right until right until now. Um, uh, last thing is uh, on the bankruptcy, and maybe mm-hmm. this is real, maybe it's not. But I love the idea that in a bankruptcy hearing of some kind that this that these two characters were having that you have to sit there and face all of your creditors. Like there's just a room full of people that you owe money to. And so here's my idea. I think we should do this with ownership of basketball oh. teams and season ticket holders. Yeah. I think Michael Jordan and Mitch Kupchak next season 
should have to, at the end of the season, whatever the record is, have to sit down in front of what we'll call it like the 20 or 30 uh, randomly selected uh, season ticket holders. And they got to face the music. They got to have some accountability here for what's going to happen this season. Yeah. I mean, businesses with their annual shareholders meeting, right? I mean, there's a form of that that happens. That's Um, what I want to see. Yeah. I will say though, uh, if you haven't watched this show and you like, you know, just kind of jaw dropping, shocking moments that are not over the top, but are situationally like hit you in the face. This show has a bunch of them. That's why I keep tuning in. Like when Celeste had the bartender, kind of sneaking around in the background, picking up his stuff from the night before and the kids were in the house. That was, that was a fantastic moment. Um, there's a lot, anytime Laura Dern is about to just rip her husband a new oh one. Oh my God. Injected into my veins. Listen, like give it all to me. I'm a, I'm a big uh, David Lynch fan and he uses Laura Dern all the time for both uh, sort of understated uh, dramatic performances, but also melodramatic uh, performances. And she is, to me, Laura Dern is the queen of melodrama. Like she, like that scene after the bankruptcy hearing where oh. she is just excoriating her her unfaithful husband and stuffs, uh, I, I completely believe that she came up with the, the stuffing tissue paper into his mouth while he's driving as he's driving she totally came up with that on her own i will never believe that that was written into the script that's total just laura dern genius and i love her and i will watch anything uh that she's in yeah and i like the fact at the bankruptcy hearing i think it was the only two people but the the two people that actually got up and said something was I guess the guy who wanted the train set? Yep. Like he had a value on the train <laughs> I, set. <laughs> I need to be repaid for that train set, please. As custom painted. And then, of course, the nanny. And then a look Ooh. on his face when the nanny stood. I was like, oh man, that guy. He need his reactions are 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 priceless, and his just exasperation at the situation that he's put himself that in. That guy's got to go underground. <laughs> that guy's just got to leave and change his name, change it. Like, if there's anyone I that's, feel like he's got to go at least one town over. Like, Monterey, how can you – I mean, how can you go back to the coffee shop after this? Thing? I don't know. Well, just don't go when Ed and Nathan are there. All right, so, um, yeah, I would love – we should do a Patreon-only, you and I, analysis of the Big Little Eyes finale for, like, the two or three listeners that stuck around for this who enjoy Big Little Eyes. You and I should get on Patreon and and, and give our Let thoughts. Let us know Cause this if is you've a, seen anything. This is an interesting show. I think it's a very human show, and um, it's – it's that's why I say it's inexplicable why I'm attracted to this show because it's not it's not visceral in that way that uh, that Game of Thrones is you know with the right. explosions and and really just like a kind of hard hitting drama in that way it's just it's very complicated and very human and I, I think uh, one of the one of the, probably the better things on television. All right, that's it. Thanks for listening. And remember, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcast. Just search Locked On Hornets. And when you get in your car, make sure to tell your smart device to play podcast Locked On Hornets. David, it's been fun. It's been a pleasure. It's been a fantastic blast from the past, Doug. All right. I'll be back next week with Walker Mail. And again, Tuesdays and Thursdays for a little while. Get your fix. Uh, We're going to be doing some interesting stuff. Maybe some... uh, classic game rewatches on patreon so if you haven't uh, supported the show through patreon patreon.com forward slash l-o-h we'll see you next time here on locked on hornets on 
the Locked On Podcast Network.